0: if you could turn to acts 8. We'll spend I think a couple Wednesdays here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. Before we get into reading Acts 8 or part of it anyways, I'd like to ask you a question and that is why do you want to be used by God? Cuz there's a lot of people, most people in here, they want to be used by God in some way. We have people involved in ministry. But not just ministry, but in any way, why do you want to have God use you? What would motivate you? Because there's different reasons people have for preaching and operating in gifts. You know, Paul said that some, they preach Christ out of envy and strife. But then he said there's others that they do it out of goodwill. So you have two motives presented there. You know, and John in 3 John says a man named Diotrephes, well, he liked to be up front and teaching and all that. And it said he just loved to have the preeminence. In fact, he turned true teachers away from that church because he wanted to be numero uno. And John's like, I'll have to take care of him, the apostle of love, when I, when I come back there. And in 1 Corinthians 13, we're told what? We're saying the one motivation that God demands or expects of us when we minister in the gifts is to minister in what way? It should be the motivation, the motivation of love. And to minister to the needs of those that are right here that we're fellowshipping with. That should be our motivation, not to be noticed, not to be, seem real spiritual, not to get attention. And so we're going to look at two different cases here of different motivations for ministry in Acts chapter 8. And so I'd like to begin reading, first of all, in Acts 8:13. beginning in verse 13, it says, Then Simon himself, Simon the sorcerer, He believed along with the people. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. And now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So What this chapter, the beginning of this chapter, as a result of the severe persecution of Saul of Tarsus, the church had been scattered. And it said they went everywhere preaching the word. And Philip here has gone to Samaria and has preached Christ to them. And as a result of his preaching, it says miracles and signs followed. And we see that down in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 8. These are the things that happened. Unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies, and they that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. And so these signs did what? They confirmed, and which is what we need today, they confirmed that gospel that he was preaching. They confirmed the word that he preached. And many were saved as a result and baptized, including Simon the sorcerer said he believed and was baptized and so they sent word to the apostles in jerusalem and said hey we got this city down here the samaritans these people are saved and baptized would you come down and pray for them to receive the holy spirit and that's what they did came down and prayed for them to receive the holy spirit and we find that in verse 17 and they laid hands on them and they received the holy ghost and then in verse 18 old simon the sorcerer saw something And what did he see? See, well, all commentators, even the ones that don't believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that the evidence of that is speaking in tongues, almost without exception, even the ones that don't agree with the baptism being the sign, say that that is what he saw, that he saw these people speaking in tongues. And that's what he desired. And so as a result of that, it says he offered them money. And all he was doing was acting in his character because magicians back then sorcerers or magicians they bought and sold incantations from each other they would bargain with each other and he's thinking he can do that with these apostles That was a common practice because back then magicians and sorcerers unlike some guy you're gonna see on tv they didn't just pull rabbits out of a hat everything they did like you see today it wasn't based on illusion because their magic Their sorcery was based on the reality of spiritual forces. So, unlike in America, where we attribute everything to a salt imbalance in the brain that you take this drug and it'll help you, people back then and people really everywhere else in this world know that there are real spiritual forces at work. And that is where this man gained his power. Because a magician back then or a sorcerer was someone that had deep, Knowledge of the spirit world and he was the man that they went to and they still do today that could prescribe the right incantation Do the right formula or ritual whatever it was to obtain relief Could control these good and bad spirits? That's what it was all about and it must have worked for him It had to work for this Simon because this is what it says about him to whom him Simon They all gave heed everybody in this city from the least to the greatest saying this man is the great power of God. That was until Philip came along. And Philip had a power and control over these demonic spirits that he didn't have, that Simon didn't have, to where he's wanting to be like them, and he's wanting to have that power in that same control. So he wants to keep his position and power over these people, and he wanted the ability then to give them the Holy Spirit. He's willing to pay for it just like he would another magician, but not for the benefit of the people, or for the glory of God, or for the furtherance of the kingdom. But he wanted to keep his income coming in. because Didn't we have other problems in the book of Acts when these demonic forces were deprived of their worship in their images, and an income source was lost? Boy, that caused big problems for Paul, and that's what's going on here. That's just the way things work, isn't it? Why do people want to become president? A lot of them. They like the perks, the prestige, and the power. Right? Here's Peter's answer, verse 20. Peter said unto him, he says, Your money perish with you. And I like this. The Greek says, May your silver together with you be sent into destruction. He's saying, You and your money both. Head into destruction. I mean, that is a pretty firm statement, isn't it? <laughs> He's basically saying, May you and your money perish in hell. That's what the Apostle Peter is telling this man. That's a strong statement. Doesn't sound much like love to me. And look what he says down in verse 21 You have neither part nor lot in this matter. And the NIV translates that ministry it's really the word logos you, you just don't have any part in what's going on here is what he's saying in this ministry part or a lot you have nothing to do with this the spirit you're coming from he's saying why why does he tell him that in verse funny. he says because your heart simon is not right in the sight of god and that speaks to us here because of our motivation in witnessing and bringing somebody to the lord or ministering any ministry gift wanting in any way to be in ministry if it's not for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the reward of his sufferings, I mean, that's what's happening when we go out and witness. Our Lord suffered, and he has a people out there, and we're part of giving him the reward of his sufferings. Or if it's not for the spiritual of the people you're witnessing to, he would say, God would say to us, your heart is not right in the sight of God. So we need to ask ourselves whether it's song leading, preaching, witnessing, manifesting a gift, or in anything we do, what is our motivation? Is our heart right in the sight of God? Are we truly after this person's spiritual well-being and what we share with them, even if we're sharing a verse or something that happened or giving a testimony here, we have to ask ourselves what is our motivation because we know that some people just like attention, don't they? They like the prestige, the attention, So a lot of times, you know, you get an ex-drug addict, a porn star, some guy on death row, and they get saved and they have some dramatic testimony. And every church in this land would be glad to have them come share their testimony. And a lot of times, people make money doing that. So there was a guy a few years back. I mean, the younger people probably would not know about this man, but if you lived and got saved in the 80s, if you're 50 years or older, you would know who I'm talking about. His name was Mike Warnke. He was real big there in the 70s and 80s. And he was a former drug addict and claimed to be a former drug addict and a witch. And I remember I was a Catholic boy. I took his testimony into my Catholic class. And we all listened to it, and even that priest thought it was great. (laughs) On the surface of things, he had a powerful testimony, and he made a lot of money. And he wrote books, and he made a lot of money off those books. And guess what happened? It was found out that his heart was not right in the sight of God because it came out. He made all of it up. All of it up and you think about all the young people I was one of them uh, it just really had an effect on me his testimony and how dramatic he made it and all that and think about a person like that what they do to people and that's why we'll see what Peter says to Simon but a person's heart is not right in the sight of God that could do something like that and so what is our motivation for serving the Lord because it pays is that why we serve the Lord because it pays because we just don't want to go to that awful place called hell is that is that the best reason for serving the Lord or you just want to be accepted by your family or I want to do things in ministry because I got a lot of friends here that are doing that is that the motivation or sometimes it's just you know I gotta make up for all the bad things I did in my life and I think that's what's coming when you read first Corinthians 13 that person that would give their body to be burned it's like I'm willing to do that if it'll gain me heaven and we actually had Martyrdom that took place in the church, and a lot of it was over in Ethiopia. These people were begging to be martyred. They were doing things to be martyred, and they had to curb that stuff. They're like, wait a minute, getting martyred and getting tortured, there's, you're not gaining any rewards by doing that. If God has you do that, fine, but that's not getting you anything extra to where you're asking for it to happen. That literally happened, and I mean, gruesome stuff these people would go through. But here's what it should be. It should be Galatians 2.20, shouldn't it? If you want to look at that or I'll look at it for you and read it out loud. We know that verse. Here's the reason I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ, he lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, how I live my life in the flesh with ministry, he says, for ministry, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And here's his motivation. He loved me and he gave himself for me. That should be our motivation, shouldn't it? Out of thankfulness and love and gratitude, we'll do whatever the Lord asks us to do. That is a good reason. That's a good reason, isn't it? You saw how wicked you were. We've talked about that a lot here. And in his love, he died in your place and forgave you and gave you a clean heart and a clean conscience. That is our motivation for serving the Lord and serving each other. In faith and repentance, we've said we've forsaken sin and the world. And now, Lord, my entire life is given to you. To do with me what you want. That should be our motivation, shouldn't it? It really should be. And so he tells him here in verse 22, he tells Simon, he says, Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray, God, that if it is possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. So there's a lot of people, they just think, hey, just because I ask for forgiveness, it's an automatic thing. And we've heard this before. Brother Hamilton preached this many times, faithfully preached this, that it is you just can't presumptuously sin and just assume that you can be forgiven. There has to be genuine repentance involved, doesn't there? There really does. And so he's saying, whether you're forgiven or not, Simon, is going to depend on whether your repentance is sincere. Because if it's not just asking for forgiveness or me praying for you, it's not going to give it to you. So your parents praying for you, you've got to sincerely repent, young people. Their prayers aren't going to get you into heaven. And here's the reason why. Verse 23, he says, and here's why he tells him that. Does it just say it for no reason? Peter tells him. He says, "I perceive something about you, Simon. I perceive that you are in a gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity." And that's all in the present tense. He's telling him, this is how you are right now. Not how you were. It should have been a were, shouldn't it? Because it said he believed and was baptized. If that baptism was a real baptism for him, it would have been an outward sign of something that took place on the inside of him. It never happened. Peter's realizing there's there's a problem with you, Simon. You said you believed with everyone else and you were baptized, but based on what you're saying and how you're acting, you are still in the the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. You have never been set free. You're still a sinner. And so was Simon a bitter person? You know, did he have a, a bad childhood? Is that what he means by that, that he's bitter? He's bitter about his past? If you would, I'd like you to just turn over. We, we could skip this, but I would like you to see this. If you turn over, put something there, and turn over to Deuteronomy 29, because this is what he's talking about. It's not so much bitterness like he has a bitter attitude, but this is a a position he's in that could affect others is what he's telling him. And that's the danger in a person like Simon. So you look in Deuteronomy 29, and we'll go right back over here to Acts 8 in a minute. But it says here, and this is what Peter's referring to when he says that. Deuteronomy 29, 18, Lest there should be among you man or woman or a family or tribe who's what, whose heart turns away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that bears gall and wormwood or bitterness. Because that's going to affect everyone else. And it says, And it comes to pass when he hears the words of this curse that he blessed himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart to add drunkenness to thirst. And here's what he says the Lord will do to a person like that. The Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man. And all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him. And the Lord shall blot out his name from heaven. And the Lord will separate him unto evil out of all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in the book of this law. And so that's the problem. With a person like that, they are a poison. And they're a poison, he's saying, that can affect everybody. And he's saying, God will take you out. He will take you out from among the people. And that's what Peter is telling Simon here. So he's a, a bitter person that could poison those people. And that's the warning he's getting. So if perhaps you repent, God can forgive you. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of those things which you have spoken come upon me. And what we have is Simon's whole thing. This is Peter has judged this man correctly because his concern is for what? It's not his actions, is it? What's he concerned about? What we just read in verse 24. The consequences of his actions. So true repentance doesn't just worry about the consequences. It's repenting of its actions itself and the heart that would have such actions. But no, Simon, he's saying, no, no, no. He's just worried about what may happen. Just pray that what you said, those curses, don't come upon me. He's not remorseful at all. And this man, one man wrote this. He said, Simon resembles a cornered criminal frightened at the prospect of punishment, although not obviously remorseful over his crime. He's just worried about what's going to happen to him. And here's what we do know from church history. Guess what? He never did repent. Simon did, never did repent, and he actually became a thorn in Peter's side, working against the gospel in Rome and in other places. Because he was one of the main promoters of, of a, a cult called Gnosticism, which said all this stuff, All you have to have all these secret information to make it to God and all this. And believe me, in Christianity, there are no secrets and nothing to hide. So what Peter saw about this man, and the, perhaps it never happened, That's the way he died, in that gall of bitterness, as far as we know, according to church history. So I spoke about him, and what that's telling us is we have to be careful of our motivations for why we want to do ministry for the Lord, because God will expose bad motives. But the contrast we get here in chapter 8 is we compare him with Philip. And this is where we should be. Philip, look at this. So Philip comes along here. After they had left Peter and John and went and preached the gospel, it says in verse 25, to the many villages of the Samaritans. But look what we have beginning in verse 26 with Philip. And the angel of the Lord, though, spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you read? And he said, Well, how can I? Except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom you speak, the prophet? Of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing but Philip was found at Azotus and passing through he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea so I would ask you was Philip anything like Simon I mean was he seeking fame and power and glory for men not in any way and there's two things in chapter eight that tells us he wasn't number one Philip would have been fully able to pray for those people to receive the Holy Spirit. But instead, he deferred to the apostles. He wasn't like Simon. Simon wanted that power. And the reason he deferred was is because you get the apostles down there, the foundation of the church, and they're the ones that are praying for these Samaritans to receive the Holy Spirit. That is going to be a sign and seal of their acceptance because the Jews hated the Samaritans. And so when you have the apostles, the cornerstone of the church coming down, and they're the ones praying for these people to receive the Holy Spirit, that's putting a stamp of approval on what's going on. And so he humbly just defers and has them come down. And the other thing, the other reason that we know that this man wasn't after fame and glory and prestige is because he was willing to leave Samaria. To go evangelize a single Ethiopian eunuch in a desert. But here's the big contrast I want us to see at the beginning of, of everything is what was the spirit that controlled Simon? It was the devil, wasn't it? He's controlling everything he's doing. And that's what we have from the beginning. But what do we know about Philip? What do we know? Turn back to Acts chapter 6, just a couple chapters back. And look what it says. This is what controlled the life of Philip. So we're looking at a flesh-led ministry of Simon and a spirit-led ministry, which should be the way ours is. And so back in Acts 6, in verse 3, it says, Wherefore, brethren, when they're looking to find the first deacons, look out among you seven men of honest report, and what else should be a characteristic of them? Full of the Holy Ghost. And with that comes wisdom that we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and so on. So here is a man that we know from the get-go, when this church is scattered, he's going scattered, but this guy isn't ministering in the flesh, is he? He's fully dedicated to the Lord, and he is walking in the Spirit, and in the power of the Spirit. Before he was chosen as a deacon, he's just like anybody else in this church, anybody else in this church, but yet it says he was full of faith in the Spirit. That means it is available to all of us, isn't it, to be able to walk and conduct ourselves in that way? So he's full of the Holy Spirit. That's the first major requirement, because what did the Lord tell all of the Apostles in the 120, he says, you need to wait here in Jerusalem until you are filled and then go forth and minister. Did he not? And we are continually reminded of that in the book of Ephesians 5.18. What did Paul command us there? It's a command, be filled with the Spirit. A command. And listen, when you're full of the Spirit, what I want us to see today, God will use you. So people say they're bored with their Christianity. Things don't seem to be happening, my life's just not that exciting, it's just you know whatever. Get filled with the spirit, and you can be used like Philip was. You really can't. or Ananias, who was Ananias? It just said a certain disciple, Ananias. In Acts chapter nine, the next chapter. But he had to be a godly person that spent time in prayer and was filled with the spirit. And guess, he sent him to the apostle Paul. He prayed. Could you imagine one of us here? getting sent to the Apostle Paul, but that's all that happened with Ananias. He was just a dedicated disciple filled with the Spirit. Sent him to Paul, laid hands on him to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and for his eyes to be opened. Now that's something. That's a challenge to us, isn't it? It really should be. We just act like we can just come and show up. I know. I've been where you're at, where we're all at. And it's just a temptation to do it. It's an easy way out. But we are Spirit-filled Christians. We read the book of Acts. It's just not a good story. It's there to instruct us on how we should live. And how do you get filled with the Spirit? It doesn't just happen by osmosis. What did the 120 do? They they sought the Lord and prayed. How do you keep being filled? You know, in Acts 13, when Paul and Silas were being sent out, they were fasting. And then the Spirit spoke. And then they fasted again and sent them forth. So that's one good way to be filled with the Spirit is the fast. If you never fast, you might have a problem there. And it does help with ministry. Fasting, the word, in prayer, a commitment, and worship daily, like Jay talked about. (laughs) One of my instructors at school, who has been a pastor in a whole lot of churches, and he said, ministry in the flesh, any type of ministry we do, it will fail. And he told us, he said, I'm telling you, you're here in an academic school, but he says, above all else, above all your Greek, above all your theology, above all this book learning. And I mean, it's coming out your ears. He said, you all need to be filled with the spirit as you go forth from here and as you continue your ministries. And that's true for all of us, though. It really is. It's not just for people that preach or deacons. It's for everybody in this room. And here's what will happen when you're filled with the Spirit. God, go back to Acts 8, God will use you as he did Philip in an unusual way. And look what happens here. Verse 26, the angel of the Lord, an angel appears to him. Could you imagine? What would you do if an angel of the Lord appeared to you and spoke to you? But that's what happened with Philip. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that you go down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert." and what did he do it says he arose and went he's being directed by this angel he doesn't know where he's going does he he just said go down south head that way head towards the desert and he's obeying that that's all the direction he's got at that point and you think about it he left a fruitful work in samaria to go to the desert for my huge crowd a whole city that said they loved him, there's joy in that city, to a desert. There's, no ministries will do that today. <laughs> Go to a desert. And I'm telling you, that desert was hot. And it talks about Gaza. You know, Gaza, when you're headed south down that road, that is the last watering hole you're going to get to. And after that, you're on your own for a while because you're heading into the hot desert. And it's hot over there. <laughs> it's really hot. And so how many people would be willing to do that here? leave comfort to go to the desert you know we say we're sold out but are we really are we really willing whether it's a desert or some other area or some people or person that we just think is yuck in whatever way are we really willing to go there to minister to them to leave our comfort zone and go minister to somebody that we don't think much of or go to a place that we don't think much of wherever it is there's places like that everywhere you don't have to go over there there's places like that in Shelbyville that a lot of people just would rather not go and I'll tell you I've got a biography this man is is one of my spiritual heroes and i would never heard about this man though and here's the reason why his name was William Chalmers Burns so back in the late 1800's he was probably the greatest evangelist that Scotland ever had and they had revival take place and it took place God's Spirit was on him kind of like with Philip, everywhere he went, revival broke out. Churches were dead, but it followed this man all through that country. And he had a friend who's also a famous Christian. His name's Robert Murray McShane. A lot of people have read his writings. He had this church that he was pastor over, loved those people to death. But they were a dead people. He prayed for them, constantly praying for revival. His health got bad. And so they sent Robert Murray McShane to Jerusalem. And while he's gone, his friend, they were friends, William Chalmers Burns comes in there, and his church experiences a great revival. People are alive. People are getting saved coming into that church. And here's one thing we can learn from that that I think is just a little side note. Robert Murray McShane, most people would be jealous that here he is laboring for all those years and no results, and yet his friend comes in and almost instantly, instant results great results the people are alive they love his preaching there was no jealousy whatsoever robert murray mcshane truly loved his people to where he was blessed and he wept when he found that out but here's the thing about mister burns that impressed me the most when i read his biography He was going all over Scotland. Everybody wanted him to come. He could have had all the money that he wanted. He could have had all the fame he wanted. And at the height of when that was going over, he prayed and believed God was telling him to go to China. Nobody went to China. And he went by himself. He was a single man. He never had married. And he said the Lord spoke to him and told him to go to China. He got on a boat, and that's where he went. Never to be heard from again. To minister to a lost people, he's like Philip, he left the joy of Samaria to go to the desert to maybe to just minister to that one person, but do you know what happened? Most people in here know about Hudson Taylor, heard of the great what well, do you know what happened? God sent him over there mr Burrs he He was a missionary, like no other missionaries. All the other missionaries would wear their English clothes, they would try to make the Chinese turn them into English people, and they didn't have very good success. But William Burns just had a heart for people in the Lord. He was the uh, pioneer. He realized, I'm going to dress like these people dress. I'm going to eat the food that they eat. I'm going to live with them. I'm going to be one of them to reach them, like Paul said. And that's what he was doing, and he was reaching people. And so in the process of that, him and Hudson Taylor, God in his providence, had them meet paths. And Hudson Taylor was struggling. And Mr. Burns instructed him, he said, hey, they spent all this time together, and Burns was a godly person. Those guys didn't talk about sports. They didn't talk about the weather. No, they talked about the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ, and they weren't just forcing those conversations. Him and Hudson Taylor loved this man. He said, I've got a spiritual brother over here like none I could ever imagine. And Burns shared with him, get rid of your English clothes. Dress like I am, you'll reach the people a lot better. And that is what led to... Hudson Taylor's great success. And so God and his providence also, they got separated. There was always unrest over in China. It was a dangerous place to live. The two of them got separated, never never saw each other ever again. But he met up with him long enough that God used him to help one of the most well-known and famous, and most people don't know that story, about William Chalmers Burns. But that's how God calls us to be. And you know, when he died, this man could have had everything. He died broke. And all he had was his Bible, a few books, and a couple of personal items just fit in a little box. That's all he had left when he died. But, man, I'll guarantee you his reward in heaven was unbelievable. Unbelievable. But guess what his motive is? We're talking about a motive being led of the Spirit. He loved the Lord, and he loved souls. He really did. And that was his motivation for going over there. He knew that if these people in China didn't hear the gospel, they were going to perish. It's their only hope. And so he was willing to do that. And that's what we have with Philip. And that should be the same with us, should it not? The other thing we see here is that when you're filled with the Spirit and you're praying about, god leading you he'll send you somewhere and he'll have a people prepared for you when you get there and we see that look here in verse twenty seven after he arose and went and obeyed verse twenty says it says behold a man of ethiopia meets up with this, a eunuch of great authority under candace queen of ethiopians who had charge of all her treasure had come to jerusalem for to worship was returning sitting in his chariot reading isaiah the prophet and then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand you what you read? And he said, How can I? Except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. It was Isaiah 53, 7 to 8. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speak the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Got a person ready for you when you get there, if you're following the Lord. That's what we see. And we know that guy was rich, that eunuch, because back then, if you owned anything, even if all he had was the book of Isaiah, we don't know if he had more than that. That was expensive it's not like books today if you owned any kind of books you had some wealth about you and he's doing what reading out loud now we here in our modern world do not read out loud but do you know the world read out loud for most of the existence of written language people always read out loud and actually if you read out loud you will retain what you read better people think you're weird but you'll retain <laughs> what you read better and that's the truth what's he reading? What's God have him reading? He could have been reading anywhere in that book of Isaiah, couldn't he? Well, what's he reading at this time? Isaiah 53, the greatest evangelistic chapter in the Old Testament. Praise God. So what do we see here? God is in control of all of this, isn't he? In control of a spirit-filled person that's willing to obey. And look what's happening here. He sent Philip in that general direction by having that angel come to him. He was willing to obey that. He has the two meet up on this road, and the Spirit tells Philip, he says, "Go, go join up with him." And Philip has to run to get up to that chariot. He has to be obedient on that too. There's probably other people on that road. He's like, "I want you to run and get." You know, he had that know inside that that was the Spirit speaking to him. How many of us could do that? Discern that that the Lord's speaking to us in that way and once again the lord's in control cause he's got when all this is happening he's reading Isaiah 53 <laughs> and also he had to be working in that eunuch's heart that he desires to know what that means that's God that puts that kind of desire in you cause he's probably dirty and that eunuch's a rich guy, everything's probably clean inside that chair. he's like come on up in here buddy because you look like somebody that knows what this bible is saying, I want to talk to you I got a strong desire because when I just got back from Jerusalem and I didn't get that water I really want you got something, I want to know this, I'm still hungry for God God's got this man hungry, God's working it all through this isn't he? through this spirit filled person and I'm saying when you go out and you're filled with the spirit and led of the Lord and you pray ahead of time God will lead you to people that are ready because there's not that many people that are willing or that have a message. I'm saying, I, I gotta, you hate to use yourself as illustrations, but back when I was hitting the streets a lot on weekends, I would pray and I would fast before I would go and ask God to give me direction to people, to come up and talk to people that he's got ready, that I can help. Because I don't want to just waste my time on somebody that doesn't want to hear. And I would do that. And I'm saying countless times, I'd walk up to a young person, start talking to them, sharing the gospel, and they'd be like, you know, I've been reading my Bible. I've been asking myself these questions, and I didn't know who to talk to. I'm saying it happens all the time. Another time, I remember I was up at that park with the skateboards in Louisville, and there's this couple there, and went up and shared, and they said, you know, we've been talking about divorce, getting a divorce. But we said we were willing to talk to a minister or someone that could direct us in the Bible. I mean, I'm mean, i not going to say i a new minister, because I wasn't at the time, I was just somebody coming here. But you get an opportunity then that if you're not going out looking and not let, let the Lord lead you, then it never happens. You've got to be intentional. You know, another time, I'd gone out a weekend before and handed out a tract to this guy, working behind a counter in a Shell station down in Louisville. My friend comes and me and him are going to go out together and, and go witnessing in the streets. And we were in that area, I said, let's go, I want to go by and just see what that guy what happened if he read that track walk in there and the guys like man I've been thinking about that track all week long and we start talking to him and next thing you know I kid you not the counter in that shell station this is in a bad part of Louisville became a pulpit and people are coming in buying their beer. we're witnessing and handing out tracks talking to them for about an hour no kidding and some of the conversations were better than others but I'm saying that's what was going on I'm like this is crazy and then at the end The mechanic and the owner of the shell station and the guy behind the counter, all three of us and me and my friend are standing in the middle of this shell station, still open for business, holding hands and praying. And my friend prays, and the owner of this business, I thought I couldn't believe he didn't kick us out of there. Oh, no. You know what happens? As my friend's praying, he breaks down crying. The owner of this shell station. And he says, I have been backslidden. He said, I walked with the Lord faithfully for all these years. I've been backslidden and have been miserable and been wanting to get back to the Lord. And there's an opportunity. And I got to say this, though. (laughs) We're praying, and that guy breaks down crying. And I look up out of the corner of my eye, and there's this black lady wanting to come in there, and her eyes are like that. She doesn't know whether she wants to walk in that shell station or not seeing four grown men standing right there praying. (laughs) And she didn't come in. (laughs) I'm saying things like that can happen. It doesn't just have to be things in the Bible. And, I mean, you've heard all kinds of stories like that. But we have to be willing to be used, don't we? And it's a mindset. It is. You have to be looking for opportunities. So, look, Philip didn't just walk alongside that chariot, did he? Waiting to be asked of the hope that was within him. (laughs) He took the initiative, didn't he? Because I'm telling you, if you're going to wait for someone to ask of the hope that's within you, that rarely happens. And so if you're not looking for ways to bring the Lord in your conversation with people you meet along life's way, you'll never have those witnessing opportunities. They won't happen. And you'll end up just talking about the weather, sports, or whatever. And I'm not saying you can't do that and you can be too pushy about it and all that other. What we need to be willing to share most of all with people, it's inoffensive, is your testimony. Work that in somehow nobody's offended by that and tell them how God took me man I was a wicked person and the gospel came and this change was made in my life and I've never been the same since got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Bible just opened up to me nobody gets offended over that believe me they don't and that can open up a door to witness and we should all be able to share our testimony cause talking to people about healing all is fine but what is the biggest need a sinner has it's to hear the gospel of salvation, isn't it? It's their biggest need. And so, when they ask to come up to that chariot, when they ask you to come up there and explain things to them, can you do it? That's the question. Are you able to do that? Because look what we have here. Philip, when he was asked to come up there, he wasn't at a loss for words. Verse 34 The eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet of this, of himself or of some other man? And then Philip did what? He opened his mouth and began at that scripture. He was able to start, and now what a great place to start. Isaiah, I'd love to start there. Isaiah 53. And what did he do from there on out? He said he preached Jesus unto him. He began there, and he's like, I'll gladly take you through what you need to know to be a saved person. Could you do that? Could you do what Philip did? Because I know most people can't. I just know the reality of it. But what is Hebrew 5? Twelve tell tell us Hebrews five twelve says for though by this time you ought to be teachers you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God and so if you're really serious about your Christianity I think you need to take the time to understand what's involved in salvation what steps do I need to take somebody through to bring them to the Lord you just don't start off with saying do you know Jesus do you know that's not the way you start things off. So it used to be what they called the Roman Road, but the Roman Road is basically telling us what? A person has got to see they're a sinner. They've got to see they're sick before you give them the medicine. You're trying to give them medicine. When they think they're fine, it is not going to work. And I'm saying people can have their own methods. Your testimony is a good way of doing that. For me, I mean, great comforts. Some people don't like great comfort, but I'm saying it's worked hundreds of times in prison. It's worked, and it's worked out on the streets. You just ask somebody, are you a good person? And almost everybody tells you yes. Even in prison, everybody's a good person. (laughs) Because they're comparing themselves with other people. Hitler would have said he was a good person. He really would have. He had good reasons in his mind for doing what he did. He wasn't that crazy, but he's pretty crazy. But but you get a person, are you a good person? And you go through the law. The law is designed to bring the conviction of sin. And it does work. And then you ask them after you go through that, all these people that think I'm probably going to heaven, and you go through the law with a person that's a sinner, I've never had one yet tell me they're going to heaven, they all say hell. Because you know what they've got? A conscience. And so when they hear that law, you know what's agreeing with it? Conscience means with knowledge. The law is written on every man's heart. And they can't get away from that. And it, when you start going through that law, have you look with lust on a woman to a guy? And they're like, yeah, told a lie, yeah. And so do you realize that makes you a lion, thieving? Oh, yeah. So are you going to heaven or hell? They all, it's hell. Does that bother you? Oh, yeah, it bothers me. Or some people, it doesn't bother them. But that's how you share the gospel with people. Develop, you don't have to do it that way, but however you do it. <laughs> the main thing is, though, that I found that I have a problem with a lot of these people that go out witnessing is they'll use the word Repentance. But they don't explain that it means to turn from your sin. Because you ask somebody, if you just say you need to repent and give your life to Jesus, you know, I've, I just would ask people, what does repent mean to you? And almost everybody, I'd say 90% of the time, they'll say, it means to ask God to forgive me. I'll say, that's not what it means. That's part of what it means. But it says, he that confesses his sin, Proverbs 28, he that confesses his sin and forsakes it, shall have mercy. You can confess your sin and stay in it, there is no mercy. And people need to understand that. And the best illustration to use to bring that in is the prodigal son. He left the father. He's living in a pigsty. But guess what he didn't do? He didn't stay in that pigsty to get right, did he? he said he came to his senses. And it says I've got to return to my father, and that's what repentance is. He goes back. And then he confesses his sin. I've sinned, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. But he didn't stay in the far land, living in that pigsty. Repentance means you come back. It's returning back. And people need to understand that, and they also need to understand that faith is not just believing facts, but it is a commitment. A commitment like you make in a marriage. A commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You bring those things in, your conversation could go a hundred different directions after that. And we've been all taught here well enough, most of us can handle a conversation. More than what you would think. But here's the last point I want to make in this is, and this is what we see here, you gotta be ready to talk. And Philip was. He opened his mouth and he preached the Lord Jesus. And that man was ready. God had directed him that way. Hey, where's I need to get baptized, where's this water? <laughs> But look what's happened. They went their way and came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, verse 36, see, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, I sure do. I believe that Jesus, the Messiah, is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more but that eunuch it said went away rejoicing and you reach the one and you are going to probably reach many more than the one because when he went his way rejoicing the early church father iranius reported that that eunuch went back to his hometown and became a missionary to his own people thousands saved through that one the country Ethiopia now, this is really southern in the Sudan, what, the, what they're calling Ethiopia in the Bible. They're joined right next to each other. There is a strong and always has been a strong Christian presence there almost from the beginning. Now, whether it was a result of this guy or not, I don't know exactly. But even to the point we had Ethiopian Christians, strong Ethiopian Christian, at my seminary that talked about that. So I'm saying the one can lead to the thousand. So you don't know that one person that's out in the desert, God has led you to may affect many others and we have examples of that in the New Testament what about that gathering demoniac nobody wanted to mess him here's desert territory nobody wants to go in everybody's scared to death of this guy but Jesus reaches him doesn't he and delivers him and what did it say about him after he was in his right mind he wanted to be with Jesus Jesus no you go back to where you live because there's some people through you you one person I want to reach And it says that he began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And it says, all men did marvel. One crazy man getting delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ and many other people got delivered with him. And what about the woman at the well? If you would, just be the last scripture we'll turn to. If you don't mind, turn just back. One book to John 4. We're saying you reach the one. It may seem obscure, they may seem insignificant, but you can reach thousands through them. And here we have Jesus meeting a woman at a well in an unlikely time. Verse 27, and it came, and upon this came his disciples and marveled when he talked with the woman, yet no man said, what do you seek or Why do you talk with her? She's a Samaritan. And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said unto the men, come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came unto him. And then look over in verse 39. As a result of this woman and her testimony, verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he stayed there two days with them. That's a long time for Jesus. Jesus. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So through that one, many were blessed. And that's the way God works. And I was at a church (laughs) not that long ago, a few years back. And this preacher shared, he had this experience, this is modern time, this isn't in the Bible, that he was with a black guy that wasn't a preacher. And this guy was a white guy, the preacher that's telling this story. And they went to eat at a KFC. And behind that KFC, there was three cousins working. Well, the black guy, he witnessed to everybody. Everywhere he went, any opportunity he had, he witnessed. And so he witnessed to one of the three cousins behind that counter and had an influence on him that guy had been going through a bad time it was just ripe for salvation he reached across the counter at the kfc and asked that guy to pray for him to be saved and at that same time he goes i got two cousins over here that need to be saved too and he prayed for both of them all three cousins saved and they asked the black guy and the preacher they said would you two please come back here in three days And the preacher that's telling this story, he said, he told that black guy, he says, well, I got a lot of things to do. And that black guy says, "Uh uh-uh, you'll be here. You'll be back here with me. You don't have that much to do. And listen what happened. Three days later in this KFC, the three cousins meet these two men. They're in their street clothes. They had 30 relatives that they brought with them. And the black guy stood on a table and preached to all 30 of them. Now, they weren't all 30 saved, but some of them were. And that tells you right there, you reach one because that guy did something out of the ordinary in a KFC. And he get their whole failure. That's a true story. I did not make that up. So unless this guy's standing up in front of a a church lying about it, I thought that was amazing. I thought it was pretty good testimony. So back to Acts 8. What, What about you? What about me? Do we just come to meetings like this? Is it just a religious duty? Or are we serious about serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we really want to see revival in our church? We talk about that because, I mean, I've read about a lot of revivals. I had to take a class on it in church history. And there is never a true revival that there is not an explosion of people being saved and brought into a church. It's part of it. And it's part of those people that they're wanting to share what's happened. And that should be part of our lives. Evangelism should be a part of our lives our everyday lives. First of all, though, where does it have to start? What's the first thing we talked about? you got to be filled with the Spirit. And some in here, which shouldn't be the case, do not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of tongues. got to have that. You should see that being a need. God wants to bless you with it and to use you like we just read about Philip and let that become a reality in your life. So are we going to be like that? Or are we going to be like Simon the sorcerer? We serve God, but... Not if it doesn't pay, and not if it gets us in trouble, but it'll cost us. So what do we see tonight? We need the number one, we got to be filled with the Spirit. And like Philip, we have to be willing to be used, don't we? And when that's the case, what do we see? God will have somebody ready there for us. And I think these end times come, and trouble comes. I guarantee if you're over in Paris now, there's going to be a lot more people open to hear a gospel presentation than they were a week ago. And that's the way it was when, when the nine eleven happened here, there was a lot of people open to the gospel more than I'd ever seen in a long time. We talked about that, a guitar teacher, he didn't want anything to do with anything on my Christianity, but when that happened, boy, that's all we did. no guitar lesson, had a witnessing session. That's fine, I'll pay him for that. no problem. But then we also have to have the message. you have to take the time to know. Be prepared ahead of time when someone asks me about salvation. I can lead them through. I can talk to them about it. I know where I'm starting and I know where I'm going. You have to be prepared in that way. Because listen, the Great Commission is a command. And it's not just for Baptists, it's for all Christians, isn't it? What is the Great Commission? Matthew 28 All power, Jesus said, is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then he gives this encouragement. You're not going to be doing that on your own because he says, Lo, I am with you. The Lord Jesus Christ will be right there with you by his Holy Spirit helping you to minister to this person. Sometimes you get in dangerous situations. He'll keep you from harm. I am with you even unto the end of the world because, listen, We're in Acts 8. Look over in verses 3 and 4. It's a a responsibility of everyone because when Saul, it says, verse 3, made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison, what happened? Verse 4, therefore, they that were scattered, the church, they went abroad, and what did they do when they were scattered? This isn't the, the apostles that said stayed in Jerusalem. This is just your everyday church people going out. And what did it say they did when they were scattered? said they preach the word doesn't it that's the last thing it says there in verse four and Charles Spurgeon said this he says have you no desire for others to be saved you have no desire for others to be saved Spurgeon said then you're not saved yourself we should all have a desire and look for opportunities to see other people to be saved and so a lot of people say well what about opportunities and there are opportunities everywhere I mean we have got in Shelbyville You don't want to have to go down to Dominican. We got several food banks that are run by Christian organizations. And one I know of that you can serve food, you could witness to your heart's content if you really have a heart for the lost. Most of those places are just glad for all the help they can get. You know, they asked me to ring the Salvation Army bell, Mr. Wiley did several years back. I'm like, well, I'll tell you what, I know what the Salvation Army used to do. If I'll ring that bell, because I knew the money went to genuinely needy people. If you'll let me hand out tracks and witness while I'm doing it. He said, I don't care what you do, as long as you show up. I said, I'll be there. And that's what I did. There's all kinds of opportunities like that. Josh here goes into the jails, goes into the jail, took that on. I didn't know he did that. You can make your opportunities, goes in there on a regular basis, witnessing told me just witnessed some guy got saved the other day. We got the prison there. Anybody's interested in that, I'm saying just come to me. We get you set up. There are so many unregenerates that we can't, you can't reach them all with. We got several people going in. We could send in five more. Just sitting there in a cell, can't go anywhere, just waiting for you to come in. Any man, a woman, wouldn't be able to go in. There's an opportunity there. Come in the chapel with us. There's all kinds of guys there. You want to come preach? Just let me know. But you go in that segregation area, and it's just go unit cell to cell to cell. There's guys just waiting to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Ahead of time. I know there's groups to go to eastern Kentucky. You want to get out of Shelbyville? They got poor people there that you can build and they'll also let you witness and share the gospel. You can help them out in that way. We have our Guatemala Paul Logston. If you turn anybody down, Paul, that wants to go. No. They take you to the dump. That's like that's that like, That's probably worse than the desert, isn't it? Because the desert probably didn't have much odor. But go down there with him to the dump, dump. And we're going to hear we got a Dominican opportunity coming up plenty of opportunities locally overseas what about where you work what about you kids that go to school where you say you're christians i mean i just know my niece got saved you know how she got saved because a young man there was a christian and he prayed that morning and asked god to send him somebody that he could witness to and he could tell she was having a hard time and said would you just come up here and sit with me she says she didn't talk to this guy and guess what let her to the lord And you know what he said? He said, yeah, it's tough here because people don't invite you to their parties. Being a true Christian, they don't invite you to their parties. They don't let you do a lot of things. They don't talk to you. But he says it's worth it. Now, that's a heart for the Lord Jesus Christ, a teenager. Where you shop, you bring somebody into your house to do work. When you go get gas, there's all kinds of opportunities if you want to look for them that are there. But here's the thing. You've got to be intentional. It's not, it's not going to just walk up to your door and knock on it. you got to be intentional. You really do. Amen? Spirit-filled ministry. We can be a part of that. Hallelujah. Well, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word here and that you show us that if we're willing, Lord, and, and filled with your spirit, that you'd be willing to guide us to those that need to hear the gospel and that we can be used by you for your glory, Lord, And to give you the reward of your suffering. And I just ask you, Lord, that you'll put that on all of our hearts in here, that we will look for opportunities and ways to minister your gospel and to fulfill the great commission, the command that you've given us as your people, to spread that word because if we don't, they won't hear it. They need to hear it through us. And I just ask that you'll impress that on our hearts here as a church, Lord, that we have that responsibility to a lost world, to share your light and your gospel. And I just trust that you'll do that for us and to continue to do it for those that have been faithfully proclaiming your word and continue to encourage them. And we just thank you for being with us here tonight, Lord, and we do all that in Jesus' name. Amen.